Well, again, we begin our Advent series this morning, albeit a week late, as it were. Uh, and over what we're going to do over the course of the next month is we're going to study four of the seven I am statements of Jesus in the book of John. We'll study four of those. And this morning, we're going to be studying that word from Christ, I am the bread of life. But what we want to do in this series is just take the opportunity to see Christ, to meditate on Christ amidst a season in which we're celebrating his coming. And so we also want to be mindful of his coming again. But again, we're just going to take the time to consider Jesus's words about himself and meditate on Christ. At Christmas, we as Christians believe that Jesus as the son of God came and took on flesh, not losing any of his deity but adding his humanity so that he might rescue humanity from its deepest problem, sin and rebellion and death. And so in Christ, God came near to us since no amount of good works could ever allow us to come to him. This is how much God loves the world, that he would send his only son into the world, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. This is what Christmas is all about, friends. Tim Keller writes of Christmas, He says, Christmas is the end of thinking that you are better than someone else because Christmas is telling you that you could never get to heaven on your own. God had to come to you. It is telling that it's telling you that people who are saved are not those who have arisen through their own ability to be what God wants them to be. Salvation, he says, comes to those who are willing to admit how weak they are. That's Christianity, friends, in a nutshell. Salvation was and is so impossible that the only way it could be made possible was by God coming to us. That's the wonder of Christmas. And again, we're going to take the month of December to stare at this amazing gift that has come to us. We'll take the month of December to do what I pray we always do. Gaze upon the beauty and the glory of Christ. And again, the first of those I am statements that we'll look at is found in John 6.35. Where Jesus says of himself, I am the bread of life. But before we zero in on those six words, let me just kind of briefly set the scene for us, set the context. The book of John was written by one of John, one of Jesus's disciples, John. John lived with Jesus for three years and by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Lord moved upon him to write this account that we're reading from in the book of John. And it says in John 20, 31, John tells us why he writes his book. He says, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. Christ is not Jesus's last name, friends. Christ is a title. Is a Christ means Messiah or anointed one. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And here, zeroing in on the context of John 6, we know that Jesus has just miraculously fed the 5,000 with nothing more than five barley loaves and two fish. And this we're picking up in the context here is on the next day, throngs of people have come again and they've come to Jesus like a food truck. They have not come to Jesus like the son of God. And so in other words, these people that are coming to Jesus on this day, they're definitely interested in Jesus, but they're more interested in what Jesus can do for their material or immediate needs. They want to use Jesus for what they really want. And in verse 26, Jesus rebukes them for treating him like a food truck and then loves them by calling them to believe on him for eternal life. And what they say, these throngs of people that have come to him after Jesus rebukes them and calls him to believe, what they say in response to Jesus is they want some more evidence. 
Because the feeding of the 5,000, that miraculously feeding was not enough for them. Again, just a reminder, friend, if you think that believing is see, seeing is believing, there were many in that day that didn't. They did see and they didn't believe. But nevertheless, they want some more evidence. And Jesus, and they say, well, listen, Moses fed our fathers in the wilderness by giving us manna every day. And Jesus re- re- corrects them by saying, no, my father fed your fathers in the wilderness. And he, Jesus goes on to add in verse 49, and they all ate of that bread and they died. And then Jesus goes on to say, eat of the true bread from heaven and you will have eternal life. And that we then the, their response in verse 34 is, well, give us this bread always. And that, friends, is the context of John 6, 35, which says again, I am the bread of life. Looking up just a couple of verses in verse 33 really sets the kind of Christmas setting for us. For it says there, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And so on Christmas, God sent bread from heaven. And that bread was a he, was a person. I am the bread of life. And so let's take each one of those words. That's what we're going to do this morning. If you've ever wondered how to meditate on the word, that's what we're going to do. I'm literally going to take every single word and tediously look at them and meditate on. So let's take that first one. I, we know that Jesus famously asked the disciples, who do people say that I am right? And the disciples responded by saying, well, some people say you're John the baptizer. Other people say that you're Elijah. Some people say that you're a prophet of old. And Jesus responded and said, well, who do you think that I am? That I am. And Peter says in response, you are the Christ of God. And in this, Jesus agreed. And so we learn from this that Jesus was not an abstract man from ancient mythical background. He's not some legendary figure that somebody made up. He was a specific I with a specific identity. This is not just anyone making this claim. It's a specific person from history that spoke in a place in time. The one making this claim about being the bread of life is none other, friends, than the Jesus of Nazareth. A first century Palestinian revealed to us in scripture. The one that is born of the Virgin Mary that was betrothed to, who Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Who understood Jesus understood himself to be the son of man. You can see that there in verse 27. That's a title of divinity. That's who Jesus thought himself to be. The one who understood himself to also be the son of God. As evidenced there in verse 40. The one who was and is the son of David. What was the answer to the promise to, made to King David to have a son that would sit upon the throne of Israel forever. Jesus the Christ. The Messiah. The anointed one who came from heaven in order to bring life to those on the earth. Uh, John says of him in John 1.14 that he is God in the flesh. This is the I of who we're talking about here. And so if any of these aspects of Jesus are denied, we would be talking about a different I of these I am statements. It's critical to understand that when we're talking about the bread of life, we're talking about Jesus, the Christ who lived and breathed and walked this earth, sent from heaven, again, in first century Palestine. Friends, it's an obvious point. It's one that worth making. There are many people in our culture. If you walk the streets of D.C. and you ask them if they believe in Jesus, the historical reality of Jesus, most people will tell you that they do. And if you were to ask those same people uh, if they believed on the Jesus of the Bible, again, many of them would say that they do. But then when you begin to ask more specifically which Jesus they believe in, 
we would begin to see that opinions would begin to diverge. So we would ask them, for instance, all right, do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Do you believe that Jesus was the son of God? Do you believe that he was the answer to the Davidic covenant? Do you believe that he was born of a virgin? So we got to ask a specific question about which Jesus they're talking about. Because as we see, Jesus consciously understood himself to be a particular person. And so we must take him for not only how he has revealed himself in his word, even more, we have to take him how he understood himself to be. Which leads us to the second point. Jesus is I. He's a real person with objective realities we must see and agree to as he does. And one of those realities is bound up in that second word. I am. Significant word there, guys. I am. Many of you know that in the wilderness on Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, we thought about that last week, when Moses asked what the name of the God that was going to send him was, God responded, I am who I am. That was the name that God had of himself. That's what's behind that word Lord. Anytime you read the Bible and you see all caps, L-O-R-D, that word means I am. And so the Lord's name for himself is to highlight his all-sufficiency, his eternality. The Lord is the I am. There will never be a time, there was never a time when he was not. He was, he is, he always will be because he always has been. He doesn't need anything or anyone. There's nothing that he lacks such that he needs it to exist. He is, I am. He simply is. And here, friends, Jesus is aligning himself to that God. The God who spoke to Moses and answered him by telling him, I am who I am, is also the one speaking to us here in John chapter 6. He is the I am. The Jesus of the Bible believes that he simply is. Jesus is making a claim, friends, of essence, of eternality, an indistinguishable, unequivocal claim of who he is. An essence defined is the basic nature of a thing. So if I were to tell you I am a human being, I would be telling you something about my essence, something that simply is part of my basic nature. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. In other words, Jesus didn't become the bread of life, as the Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses might say. He isn't merely a prophet, as the Muslims say. Nor is he a good teacher, as the secularist might say. Jesus is saying that he is the essence of eternality. Come from heaven. And we know that's what he is saying because those that are in his presence, when he says this, if you slide down to verse 42, you'll see their response to that claim is to say, who in the world is saying this? This is Joseph's boy. What in the world is he talking about? So we know that's what Jesus is referencing of himself, that he's of eternity. So the bread of life is the bread of life because he always has been the bread of life. That's why he can be the bread of life. Because he is God and God is and always has been as opposed to everything else in creation where it had a start date. So to say that Jesus is anything other than the I am is not only to deny what Jesusly conscious, what Jesus consciously thought of himself. It is also not only to deny what the apostles believed of him and it is not only to deny what the Bible straightforwardly teaches of Jesus, but to deny that Jesus is anything other than the I am is to immediately Put mold in the bread that you claim is life. 
Jesus cannot give you any kind of meaningful life if you remove his divinity, if you remove his eternality. The whole point of this passage is to feast upon that which is everlasting so that you and I might overcome our own expiration date. Therefore, to have the nourishment of the bread of life, you must have it with the divinity of Christ himself. To claim otherwise is to claim molded bread is life. But thankfully, that is not what we have in Christ. In Christ, we have bread that has always been fresh. Not only because it has always existed, but because it has also always thrived. In other words, if we were to rewind the clock some bajillion years ago and see God there, we would see that he not only was existing, but he was thriving. Same thing we fast forward a, a bajillion years from now. We would see him not only existing, but thriving. Creation itself only exists because of the overflow within himself. Therefore, for Jesus to be the bread of life is for Jesus to never spoil or fade. Jesus is always fresh, friends, warm out of the oven, always. Because Jesus is I am. He is the essence of life itself. Which then leads us to that third word. Who is this one sent down from heaven to us at Christmas? Well, he is the bread of life. There's one bread of life. One option for life. Some of us, when we go to Subway or Quiznos or whatever the case may be, some sandwich shop when we watch in and they, and they say, what kind of bread would you like? Right? And they say to us, you know, you can have white bread or uh, wheat bread or rye bread or sourdough bread or ciabatta bread or multigrain bread or pita bread or flat bread. Right? We might be tempted, tempted to think of Jesus' claim in much the same way. That he's a bread of life. While there are many others. Many other foods to eat to have life. Many other ways of life. Many other people or teachings. Many other choices. Many paths, as it were, up to the top of the mountain of heaven. And the Jesus of Christianity, we might be thought, might be said of him, that the Jesus of Christianity is kind of a path, a bread, that can be added to other kinds of bread to nourish and strengthen someone for eternal life. However, friends, that is plainly not what we see in the Jesus of Christmas. Jesus understands himself to be the bread of life. There's only one. Either he is your feast for life or you do not have life at all. That's what Jesus teaches on it. We certainly live in a pluralistic age and time in the world. Our society would claim that salvation, that eternal life is reserved for anyone that is just sincere about whatever it is they believe. Therefore, any claim as Jesus makes here to be bread for life in particular, any claim that from Christians to say that he is only the only bread for life, we would be thought in our pluralistic age to be, well, prideful, arrogant, hateful for saying such things, inhumane. And our society is fine to believe as you please until you begin to make claims of authority, which of course is a claim of authority in and of itself, but I digress this is why, this is, this is, uh, this, this way of many breads of life, many paths is so unique to world history, friends, that you will be hard pressed to find any culture making this claim outside of our own before, say, 150 years ago. 
In other words, go, go anywhere in East Asia, Central Asia, or on the entire continent of Africa, and you won't find a single appeal to the multiplicities of breads that are able to give us eternal life. And the reason for that is because humanity has always understood that, say, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, for instance, they humanity understands that these are all making rival claims. They can't all be right. They can't all be equal. Therefore, to say that they are all equally right, just one sort of path up the way to heaven, is like saying a whale is a bird and a bird is a whale. Right? But of course, this cannot be the case. Jesus is either the bread of life, as he claims, or he's not at all. The one thing that he cannot be is to say that he's just a bread of life. But let's now turn to the heart of Jesus' claim. Jesus says, I am the bread. Now, it's, it's not hard to imagine that bread was a staple part of the diet of a first century Jew just as it's a staple part of the diet in our own lives still today. So to go without bread of any kind would be to go without food. And what happens if you go without food, right? You die, real simple. And so Jesus is using the staple diet for life to communicate that he in himself is the staple diet for life and eternity. As bread sustains the physical life, so is Christ himself. The essence of life will be able to nourish you both now and always, physical and spiritual, I might add. Eat of him and he will nourish you forever. In fact, let's just take a moment and meditate for a minute about how bread nourishes us. Try and take a moment in, in your mind's imagination and imagine a eating a warm piece of bread, freshly baked and placed on a plate just out of the oven. Right, That piece of bread sitting right there in front of you, maybe just a couple strokes of uh, uh, heat coming off of the top of it, a bit, a bit of just a, a bit of butter gently smoothed in the middle, and the smell, right? You can smell that warmly fresh bread baked from the oven, and if heaven were to have a smell, I'm trusting that it will be freshly baked bread, beautiful smell. Imagine all of that sitting there in front of you. When you eat of it, it's so satisfying, isn't it? You can almost imagine it now. And even when we eat upon that bread, right, it also, we find, gives us all kinds of sustenance, doesn't it? Right? We know that bread uh, is fortified with calcium, protein, iron, vitamins, and minerals. And all of those things, when we eat of that freshly baked bread, those minerals, those vitamins, they produce energy in us, life in us. Friends, this is Jesus. This is what he does. He is the bread of life. He's the vitamins. He's the minerals. He's that satisfying smell. He's the sights. He is the sounds. He is the smells. He is the sustenance of bread. He is the delightful one to feast upon in faith, to strengthen us for forever. See, the, the reality is, is our sinful choices wear us down, don't they? Right? We need strength and sustenance of food. Jesus invites us to come and eat of him, to eat of his eternal life. The reality is all of us eat of that which isn't a bread of life. All of us eat of malnourished foods, as it were. We run to other malnourishing foods, thinking that in those foods, those kind of sinful foods, we might find a kind of nourishment. We might find a kind of joy and strength to live in. What we often do in life is we run to McDonald's and we pick up some sensuality, thinking there'd be life in it. 
We run to McDonald's and pick up idolatry and pick up some fits of anger, pick up some slothfulness. We feast at McDonald's on pride and self-righteousness. We get a little extra helping of rivalries and drunkenness and envy. And like that basket of French fries, it tastes so good going down, doesn't it? Only to eventually, a couple hours later, leave us groggy and grumpy. That's what sin does. Sin and selfishness are rooted in self-dependence and self-conception. These kinds of things are fatty foods that taste good going down, but only result in long-term malnutrition. They only result in heart disease. And meanwhile, Christ offers you the bread of life. Look again at verse 33 there. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and what? And gives life to the world. So friends, Christmas is about offering you life in Christ. Bread is meant to be encouragement as opposed to all those other foods, which eventually those sinful foods, which bring us death. And that's the ministry of Christ. He not only has nourishment, guys, notice this in the passage. He's not only having nourishment, he is the nourishment. He is life. In other words, life is not just a quality he has amongst others. He is the very definition of life, the very definition of nourishment. But you ask, well, Jesus, what exactly do you mean by life? Well, let's look at that. I'm going to combine these last two words. Jesus says, I am the bread, the nourishment of life. But we ask Jesus, what do you mean by life exactly? Jesus is more than an eternal pulse, right? It's not what he's saying. Like you'll just exist forever. That's not what he's saying. He's not merely saying that. He is saying that, but he's saying more than that. He's more than just an eternal pulse. He's far more than that. So what is the life that Jesus offers us in himself? Well, the answer is that Jesus is offering you eternal love. Love is animating, right? It's eternal existence with eternal love. That kind of pulsating, vibrant, energetic love. So I'm going to ask for your patience as we kind of walk through this. We've done a little bit of philosophy this morning. We've done a little bit of theology this morning. And we're going to kind of double click on some more theology this morning. So be patient with me. I'm going to give us some more doxology at the end. So just be patient with me as we work through this. Okay, y'all with me? In order for you to be compelled to eat of this bread, you need to know what the life is that Jesus is offering you in himself. And so we're going to do that by asking ourselves this question. If we were to ask ourselves this question, what has God been doing from all eternity? Whatever the answer to that question is would tell us what life that Jesus is offering us here in this passage. What has God been doing from all eternity? Right? God is the I am. He always was and is. He has no beginning and no end. He has no deficiency that he needs anything, but he's entirely self-sufficient. But what exactly has he been doing? Whatever that is will tell us the life that is being offered to us. And again, the answer to that question is that Jesus is offering us life. The answer to the question is what God has been doing is found in that well-known phrase in 1 John 4. God is love. Just as Jesus Christ is the bread of life, God has been perfectly and eternity from eternity loving himself. That's what he's been doing. And so therefore, since he has not only always existed, he has been always existing, loving himself. 
And so just as Jesus Christ is the bread of life, it's something that he is and always has been. It's part of the essence of God. God is love. See, as Christians, we believe God has revealed himself to be one God in three persons. We sang about that from the top end of the service. Christians believe in one God in three persons. Sometimes people accuse Christians of worshiping three gods, but no, we worship one God, Father, Son, and Spirit. One God, three persons. Tri-unity. As it says in the from the 4th century Nicene Creed, God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, Jesus Christ, the only eternal begotten Son of God, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, Holy Spirit, the giver of life who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified. One essence, one God, one being, three distinct persons. And since, you say, Nathan, why are you bringing this up now? Right? Since the tri-unity of God is who God is, he can be love. Because he has something of eternality and equal worth to set his affection upon. Or, if we could say that in a negative way, to reject the Trinity is to reject that God is love because he has nothing of the same essence and the same amount of time to set his affection upon. And therefore, if God is not triunity, uh, then he will need creation in order to be love. But that, of course, is not the God of the Bible. The reality is God is love because God has been loving himself from eternity, from eternity in the Trinity. And some of you are saying, well, Nathan, isn't it wrong for us to love ourselves? Well, yes, of course it is. But it is not wrong for God to love himself. It is wise, right, and true because God is of the utmost worth. He is not an idolater. He does not disobey the first command. For him to love anything else would be to make him again an idolater. But because he doesn't do that and instead loves himself as first and foremost, he shows that he is superior, shows that he's wise, shows that he's holy. Therefore, from eternity, God has been eternally and perfectly loving the Son. That's what he's been doing. And from eternity, the Son has been eternally and perfectly loving the Father. And the Spirit has been eternally loving the Father and the Son. Back and forth. This has been going on from eternity. Isn't it amazing to think about? And so Jesus says that this is exactly what he was doing before creation. We see that in his high priestly prayer from John 17, 24. And maybe the most amazing verse in all the Bible. Jesus says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Michael Reeves says, the triune God is, is the love behind all love, the life behind all life, the music behind all music, the beauty behind all beauty, and the joy behind all joy. This, friends, is the bread of life that Jesus offers you. Wonder of wonders. Christmas, friends, is the greatest DoorDash delivery in the history of the world, right? God sends his son so that you could have not just eternal existence, but be animated by perfect love and life forever. The reality is, friends, just like that DoorDash delivery, you've got to go get it, right? It's come near to you, but you've still got to go open the door and pick it up and eat it. So in the same way, Jesus says the same thing here. There's a response to this gift. There has to be. There's a response to this bread that has been delivered to us 
in Christ, this life in love. Take a look at John 6, 35 again. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And then look what he says. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And while it would be, it would seem obvious that everyone would want to come to Jesus, the reality is they don't. Right? Just as people today keep on eating McDonald's knowing that there's healthy food and they're going to die if they keep eating it, they still eat the bad stuff. So in the same way, Jesus is known, seen to be who he is, but people don't receive him. They go on feasting on substitute breads that feed but never satisfy. They feast, but they keep remaining hungry. The bread of life is offered to, as it says, whoever. And we ask, whoever what? Whoever comes to me, Jesus says. Well, Jesus, what do you mean by come to you? Well, you see it right there in the passage. Whoever believes on Jesus for life. This is even more clear earlier in the passage in John 6, 26 to 29. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. In other words, you guys come to me because you just want to use me. Then he goes on to say, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. And then they said to him, well, what must we do to be doing the works of God? In other words, they're saying, well, how how many works do we have to do to get this stuff, Jesus? And he says in verse 29, Jesus answered him, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And if you want to know what Jesus means by believe there, friends, it's not mere intellectual assent. So if you're thinking, all right, fine, I'll just believe that he's true. That's not enough, right? Scripture makes very clear. The devil knows all of those things are true. The demons know all of these things. The demons know that Jesus is the bread of life. They believe that he's the bread of life. They believe those things and shudder, James teaches us. In other words, what Jesus is saying by believe here, what he means is not mere intellectual assent. He means wholehearted, loving trust. That's what he means. He's not merely an accessory to your life. He's not just an additive. You know, we'll sort of, yeah, do this or that. No, you understand that Jesus is your life. He's not one ingredient to to your life to kind of spice it up. He's the spice, right? If you're making a smoothie, right, he's the yogurt. He's not the raspberry and the granola you throw in. He's the yogurt. He's the whole thing. All grounds, all other grounds or all other beliefs, as it were, are sinking sand. These Israelites were happy to have Jesus to feed their bellies. They're happy to believe in him for that. But they weren't interested in Jesus feeding their souls as the source of life. They were glad to use Jesus, but they weren't interested in being satisfied by Jesus. And we see this later in this passage in John 6, when all these other so-called disciples leave him. When Jesus has these more hard teachings, they said, we're done with you. And they walk away. And with Jesus looking at those people walking away from him after the hard teaching, Jesus, that's the context when Jesus looks at his disciples and says, will you leave me too? You remember what Peter said? Peter said, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Friends, you cannot have Christ as the bread of life without wholehearted, loving trust. 
You can't have his eternally satisfying life and love unless you come to him in faith, believing, trusting, loving him for life and liberty. You cannot be nourished by the life of Christ unless you see Christ as the only true and final nourishment for your soul, forsaking all others, repenting of the times that you feasted on other things in order to find life, repenting for the throngs of times that you've broken his commands and broken his heart. Repenting for all the times that you've used Jesus, but not worshiping Jesus for who he is. Grieving those times, even like that sinful woman, taking your tears to Jesus, asking for his forgiveness, knowing that there's more mercy in him than there is sin in you. Going to Jesus in faith, believing that he has atoned for every bite of the forbidden fruit that you have taken. Satisfying it on the cross, paying for it in full. Believing that Jesus has satisfied the penalty for every time you have eaten the bread of anxious toil. Filling it up, paying for it there on the cross. Jesus invites you, sinners and saints, to come to him this morning in faith, in wholehearted loving trust that he's paid for all of those disordered loves there on the cross. Coming to him, not just to get his benefits, but to get him, to enjoy him. And what Jesus says in response is, if you do that, you will never hunger again. You will never thirst again. And for those of us that trust him, this is what we have. That we will be satisfied when we come to him in faith. When we come to him believing in the cross, believing in the resurrection, believing that he's able to pay for those sins and lead us into everlasting life and love. In wholehearted trust, we are able to feast upon the most tasty bread that can ever be enjoyed. So good is the luscious flavor of Christ. Jesus promises us that we who come to him will never hunger, never thirst again. And that delectable taste of the bread of life is offered to us, as you heard Joey mention earlier, at no price. Can you believe that? Because it was paid, right, in the bitter pangs of Christ's death on the cross. Life and liberty are free to us that believe. But it was not free to Jesus. Life and liberty are free to us that believe. But we do not come knowing. We do come knowing that there was a cost. And that the author of life was willing to pay for it. For us that believe. We who believe. We who truly believe. We never hunger again. Because all of our disordered hopes, dreams and loves. Were satisfied in Christ on the cross. Friends you got to know. Christmas is bad news before it's good news. The reason the father sent the son was because he knew there was no other way. No other way to life. Sin's eternal increase had to be paid by the Savior's eternal righteousness. And because it was for all who believe that we who believe in his righteousness can have his eternal love. Which means because I, Nathan Knight, have come to Jesus in wholehearted affectionate trust, Not because of anything that I've figured out on my own. I understand faith to be a gift from God itself. Believing that Christ has paid for my sin, I now have life. And listen to this. I don't have to ever worry about having a home where I'm loved. You want to know what it means to have life? You want to know what it means to not hunger anymore? Well, the answer is right there in verse 37. There's a connection between not hungering and what Jesus says in verse 37. When Jesus says, all that the Father gives me, that's the ones that come to him in faith, all that the Father gives me will come to me. 
And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Right? People go on hungering and thirsting in the world because they keep getting cast out. Right? They, they have to, they have not, those that have not trusted in Christ, they, they haven't entered into the triune God's perfect eternal affection for himself. They keep going on trying to find it in other places. Except Christ. They, they try to find it in sex. They try to find it in jobs. They try to find it in false religions or in the favor of friends or family members. They try to find it in society's approval of them. They try to find it in their own pleasure. And in all of those relationships, they quickly find that whatever got them inside of the good graces of those relationships is never enough to keep them there. They keep having to perform better. Right? You can't age. You can't slow down. You can't get unfunny, unpretty, or unproductive. You've got to keep performing. And since nobody can operate at that level, you eventually get cast out. The love of the world is home as long as you're good enough. You can eat at their table as long as you obey their rules. And as soon as you don't, they cast you out. You're exiled. Which, by the way, is why so many people today, maybe this is you, so many people today feel so lonely. They feel so depressed, so empty because they keep getting cast out of the world's love. But that's not those of us that are in Christ. We daily come to Jesus and feast upon him in faith. He is our what? Daily bread, right? And all of our sinful attitudes, all of our wrong behaviors, all of our unsightly practices, they get swallowed up in Christ on the cross. And in the resurrection, we are given a new life. We are given a seat at a table whose refreshing desserts know no end. And that place at the table, just like at Thanksgiving, has my name on it. And I'm always welcome there. Can you believe that? And God knows all things about me. He knows me better than I know myself. He knows how screwed up I am. And he still says, I love you. You have a place at my table. And you're never going to be cast out of here, Nathan. Because you've feasted by grace through faith upon life eternal. And since you've entered in that life, what you have is my eternal love. And you're always here. You never get cast out of this house. Never. Even when you screw up and you come back home like that prodigal son, we'll throw a party. We love you. You'll never get cast out at this table. Because of the love of God, right? It knows no end. That's why it's so important that you have an eternal God. God's love knows no end. That's important. That's why it's important that he be love, right? It has no beginning, has no end. I always have a home in Christ because he will never cast me out. His love is stronger. Therefore, I don't need to hunger or thirst anymore for anybody's approval. I don't need to hunger or thirst for anyone's money. I don't need to hunger or thirst for anyone's expectations. I'm satisfied because I've eaten the bread of life. And I've entered into God's perfect love. I've come to Jesus and he's been cast out for me. Now I'm welcome inside the love of God forever. I have nothing left to hide and everything to gain by confessing sin and living for righteousness that is mine. I don't have to hunger or thirst for anything else since I have life in the bread of Christ. And that bread will never be taken away from me. And I've done nothing to deserve it and everything to not deserve it. And yet God gives it to me by grace through faith. And beloved, this is the same truth for you. You don't need to hunger for anyone's approval. You don't need to thirst for anyone's uh, approval, anyone's love, when you've tasted the greatest love of all. 
in the gospel of Jesus Christ, beloved, you are satisfied. You're complete. You're eternally and profoundly loved. In Christ, you're never cast out. Never cast out. God brought you in. His love is perfect. No one's stronger than him. So you always have a place at his table. He will never cast you out because he has perfectly loved you. And what he has begun, he will finish in you, in us. And so as we come to Christ and eat of the bread of life, we come there by grace through faith in Christ, the one who is bread, always has been, and we feast upon him daily in faith. And he daily showers his loves upon us. And we daily use that and go and love each other, don't we? And no matter what the world may say of us, we don't ever have to worry about being cast out. We always have a home with him. And a day will come soon when we will sit at that table with him and we can see him face to face. And that bread that we sort of pray over today will be personified and seen in the historical person that is Jesus Christ, the one who is the bread of life. Celebrate him this Christmas season. Let's pray to him now. Jesus, we praise you for who you are. Forgive us for all the times in which we've made you out to be something else. May we not, like those Israelites of old, not come to you just seeking to use you. But Lord, may we be like Peter that said, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. And so we feast upon you in faith today and we say thank you for Christ who paid for all of our sins, who is pleading even now for our sins and who has given us a place at the table where we will be perfectly loved as family. And for those that are not yet believing, God, I pray that they would believe Pray that they would see the emptiness of life in all other foods and they would find in Christ the perfect food so that they would never be cast out and live for the supremacy of his glory forever and ever. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.